This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Golden Edge Podcast is brought to you by the DeCastroverde Law Group. Our motivation is you. Honor, loyalty, integrity. That's the legacy of our father who taught us to always be there for our community. And the reason why at DeCastroverde Law Group, we will always treat you like family and do everything for you. Call us at 702-222-9999, 222-9999. Your case is our case. Your victory, our commitment. At the Verde Law Group, our motivation is you. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado, The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Up, hockey fans, this is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review Journal talks about playoff hockey one last time because we are discussing the end of the Western Conference Final and thus the end of the Golden Knights season. I am Ben Goats, one of you Review Journal Golden Knights beat writers. On the other line is my colleague Dave Shane. Dave, I feel like I'm almost in a state of shell shock a little bit right now. I wasn't sure a lot of tonight if uh, the topics that we're going to end up addressing are the topics that we would be addressing in this post-game podcast. I mean, how are you feeling coming into this? Yeah, well, Pete DeBoer said he didn't even have a uh, a post-game speech prepared in case they lost. So I think nobody was really ready for it. Kind of came as a shock. And I mean, you know, you, you think back and more than a year ago, they were reporting for training camp and, you know, you go through everything that we've gone through in 2020 and the pause and the way through the summer. And then, you know, you get to this point to have it end. It's, it's just, yeah, it, it does feel like, you know, a little bit of, of having really processed it all. I guess it's going to take a little bit, I think can only imagine for the players and, and for, for the staff and for the team. Right. Absolutely. For all those guys that basically sacrificed a lot to, go up into that bubble in Edmonton and try to win a Stanley Cup. Of course, they will now not do that because the Golden Knights season is over after a 3-2 overtime loss in Game 5 against the Western Conference Final against the Dallas Stars. The Stars win the series 4-1. Before we dive deep into the game, uh, a quick reminder that the Golden Edge podcast is sponsored by the DeCastro Verde Law Group. We are also presented today by Pepsi 
Indeed and Favor Shot, favor, drinkafavor.com. Also, please check out all our written work at reviewjournal.com. We have multiple stories uh, going up online as we speak, and we'll have more stories going forward into the offseason here on the Golden Knights. Also, please rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts. Please do to this one. We would really appreciate it. Um, so getting into the game, the Knights took a 2-0 lead 15 seconds into the third period, but Stars captain Jamie Benn brought his team back within one. And then a rookie kind of playoff scoring sensation, Joel Kiviranta, scored a power play goal to tie things up with 3.47 left in the third period. Then things went into overtime and 2.15 into the extra session, Zach Whitecloud got called for kind of, for him, an unfortunate delay of game penalty the puck deflected off his stick and out of play now by the letter of the rule book that is a delay of game penalty if uh, the puck goes off a you know defensive player's stick in the defensive zone that is delay of game of course that penalty is in the rule book to prevent a defensive player from purposefully kind of flipping the puck out of the defensive zone kind of trying to get a cheap whistle there in case things aren't going their way when they're in defense that was obviously not the case with white cloud but by the letter of the rule book he had to go to the penalty box and the stars and specifically dennis gurianov took full advantage uh, he scored the star's second power play goal of the game to send them off to the stanley cup final uh, the knights who started this postseason 11 and 2 in uh their first uh 13 games finished two and six in their last eight playoff games. Before we give you our thoughts on the game, let's hear from some of the people directly involved. First up, here's Knights coach Pete DeBoer. Well, I think this game, you know, a lot like the rest of the series, uh, we just couldn't, could never get that next goal, you know, to extend it. Um, you know, it was two nothing. They got, they got the two one goal. You know, I think Patch went in alone. You know they got a they got a save there, and you know we just could never get that next goal to to extend a lead or get out in front enough in the series. And um, you have to give them credit. You know I think they they won the net fronts uh, in both ends. Uh, you know they they were better around their own net against our forwards, and they were better at our net, making it tough. Uh, on our defensemen, and you know that's where the the two goals were tonight and third. So there's the Knights coach with some of his thoughts on the game. Now let's hear from Knights right wing Riley Smith. Uh, they scored timely goals. Um, you know it was a tight series. Um, you know I, I think our team probably outplayed them for ninety percent of it, but they scored timely goals and. Um, that's just what cost us. We we weren't scoring. They were uh, picking up the goals in front of our net, and we weren't doing that for them. Uh, Riley Smith kind of summing the series up there. Uh, Dave, uh, ultimately, I guess, just what do we make of this Western Conference final this year? A lot of close games, and ultimately the kind of aggregate score, when you kind of take a step back, uh, was only 9-8 to eight stars. The stars outscored the Knights by just one goal, in this series, but yet it was over in five games. The Knights scored uh, three goals in game two, the one game they won of this series, and then five goals 
in the other four. So I guess just what is your overall assessment or the best one you can kind of come up with still kind of on the night of this game? Yeah, I mean, I think you laid out pretty well just how close the series was and, and all those numbers show that. I think, you know, what's what stands out for me and maybe they go a little bit hand in hand is at the key moments in these series, the stars executed, they made plays. Whether it was killing a penalty, whether it was scoring a goal when they needed to to get back in the game, answering a Knights goal or, you know, getting a one nothing lead early in the in game one, being able to write just every kind of key moment. And there weren't a lot of them in this series because like we've talked about it, it was kind of a, you know, to use the phrase, a low event series. It wasn't a lot of back and forth, high octane chances either way. And, and every single time that, that, you know, execution kind of came into it, that there was a key moment the stars seemed to to come through and the Knights either missed the net or or took a penalty at the wrong time or just, you know, didn't get a safe. Like every little tiny thing seemed to to bite them in the in the butt, I guess, a little bit. And then two, it, it is just the stars top players, especially once they were reunited. Once Rick Bonus put that first line together, Radulov, Sagan, Ben the stars top players came through when they needed them to and the golden Knights top players didn't. And, you know, it's harsh and it's being critical and, you know, I'm sure there's fans that, you know, are going to, are going to say, well, the blame should be here. Or the blame should be there. And it's, you know, there's plenty to go around and it's, it's not like I'm assigning blame per se, but you know, numbers are numbers. And, and like the Pete DeBoer talked about, like Riley Smith, we just heard from him and, and the offense just wasn't enough and credit to Dallas, but that's ultimately, you know, what it came down to the stars, stars <laughs> scored when, when they needed to and the night stars did. And yeah, I mean, I think Jamie Ben, the stars captain is, you know, if there was theoretically a Western conference final MVP, I think he would have won it. Uh, or actually, I guess he probably would have won it among skaters. I think Anton Kudobin, uh, the Stars goaltender, would have actually won it with a bullet now that I'm kind of thinking out loud here. But Jamie Benn, in terms of skaters, was by far the best skater in this series. And like you said, I thought that line was excellent once Rick Bonus reunited them. They were just, it seemed like, on the ice all the time as the Stars were pushing for the tying goal late in the third period. And for the most part, they were really successful at generating chances against the Knights. Um, one thing that stuck out to me in the post-game press conference that we both attended via Zoom, um, and I think this was somewhat just being courteous, but DeBoer mentioned that in terms of the offense, he was sure there were some things he could have done differently. But, I mean, you know, I'm curious, you know, as you know, the two of us were impartial looking at this from afar, literally, because we watched this from our homes in the Las Vegas Valley as opposed to in Edmonton. I mean, is there something that, you know, you think that Pete DeBoer is going to look back in this series and be kicking himself for? I mean, I think the big one that you kind of had briefly mentioned earlier of this series was a lot of low event hockey. I mean, ultimately, when the Knights coaches go back and pour over the tape, are they going to maybe regret not trying to open this up more? Or is this just a case of, as you also kind of talked about, where, you know, maybe the ideas were fine, but just the execution was not there compared to what the stars were able to do? 
So I think it's easy for us to say it. I think it's, you know, for us to say they should have opened it up and, and all those sorts of things. It, it is easier said than done. And, and I tried to explain, um, maybe it was my dad or somebody, I don't remember, but I made the comparison of like, you know, you go to the NCAA tournament and somebody's going to play Wisconsin and I don't care if they average 89 points or something like that. They're going to play Wisconsin. You know what? This game's going to be in the fifties or sixties because the slow team just always kind of dictates that. And it's a little bit sort of the same in hockey. Like you can't just open it up. You can't open a team up and make them come out of their defensive shell really without kind of baiting them out of it. You almost have to give up chances on purpose. Um, You have to like, you know, try to get them to, to take the rush and rely on your goaltender and rely on Robin Leonard to, to make a couple saves and, and use your skill and go the other way. And I feel like that game would have suited them a little bit better in terms of like Max Pacioretty maybe would have been a little more comfortable and maybe would have scored, you know, a goal in his last eight games in, instead of a goose egg. Um, maybe it suits William Carlson a little better. Maybe they just get a couple goals and they stop thinking about it at that point. I, I, you know, it's hard to say what could a coach do because he did juggle his lines and, you know, it's not like they've got, you know, somebody in the black aces that that's, you know, that tore up the AHL and it's like, well, why didn't you put this guy in? I mean, it would have been like we talked about Peyton Krebs if you were looking for an offensive spark or something. And that's a big ask for a 19-year-old to make his NHL debut in a situation like that. So, you know, I, I don't blame, I guess, Pete DeBoer in that regard. I, like you said, I think he's, you know, falling on the sword a little bit, haha, pun intended. Um, but... You know, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe you try to do what Colorado did and, and maybe you trade chances a little bit. Maybe you rely on your goaltender. Robert Leonard showed in Chicago that he can he can be successful in, in that wide open a little bit style and trading chances. Maybe that was a way that for, for them to get Dallas to kind of break out of its system a little bit, you know, but I guess, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and, you know, either way, you know, they're going to be, they're going to be heading home and, and series over. Right. And the biggest reason that this series is over is of course the golden Knights scoring or lack thereof. Uh, ultimately Jonathan Marcheseau didn't have a goal in his al- last 11 games this postseason. Uh, Max Pacioretty didn't have a goal in his last eight. Now, of course, uh, Pacioretty, there might still be an injury at play there. Remember, he got to the Edmonton bubble late after suffering a training camp injury, and he also uh, missed all of the round-robin games plus a game in the Chicago series. But, you know, him and Marcheseau, those are your top two finishers, essentially, and they didn't have a goal in this series. Uh, William Carlson has f- had four points in his last 12 playoff games, and uh, there's other guys who, you know, you mentioned Riley Smith, who had his first goal uh, in 11 games in game five tonight. There's other guys who didn't quite produce as well, but those are kind of some of the chief culprits in terms of the top six. Uh, The power play also dried up this series. The Knights finished three for 22. They had the special teams edge for most of this series, but it actually got back to even tonight because the Stars, after starting 0 for 8, were three of their last five, including... 
Uh, they went two for four tonight and scored the game tying and game winning goals on the power play. Uh, and I mentioned this earlier, the Knights ultimately finished with eight goals in five games and three of those came in their lone win in game two. Um, big picture, Dave, similar question that I asked uh, in regards to Pete DeBoer earlier. Do you feel that this was, you know, an execution problem for the Knights where they're, you know, top players just not getting it done when they had chances to get it done? Or is there something, I guess, you know, is, is this a fundamental flaw for this team that was exposed that they, they can't score in terms of when things get tough against a really good defensive team and a tough goaltender in the postseason? Or is it a little bit of both? Or is it just a small sample size? I guess, what what's your read on this scoring situation? I mean, a lot of all of the above, and I know that's a cop-out answer, but like, you know, I was talking to somebody earlier today before the game and, you know, I think actually was talking to our, to our editor actually as well. And, and thinking back to like the first year and why they sort of struggled against Washington in that series, especially after game one and, and the way Washington kind of sat back in that in that one, three, one and sort of absorbed a lot and then went with the puck the other way and created so many good chances and seemed to kind of score on, you know, not all of them, obviously, but, but enough of them that it, that it put pressure on the Knights in a different way. I mean, think how long they've struggled with like Minnesota and in, in teams that will sit back and play kind of a, a bend, but don't break, I guess, sort of style and push everything to the outside and just pack the middle, you know, give up zone time, give up the, the outside ice, all those sorts of things. And, and the Knights are very content to kind of take it and, and almost, you know, at the end of the game, lean back on, well, look how many shots we had, or, you know, look what, what this number says, or this number says when, you know, maybe they weren't as threatening as, as sort of the numbers sort of are lying in a way it goes, I don't know. It goes hand in hand. I mean, I, I, I feel like I've said this before. I feel like the one thing that this, this series showed is they're screaming out for a playmaking center, you know, somebody more so than they have right now that can really unlock the defense with, with a pass or just, you know, a guy who can set somebody up and create something out of nothing or, or get a goalie moving side to the side, the types of shots, the types of chances that you see consistently scored on in the NHL. I mean, it just felt like there weren't a lot of, there weren't a lot of chances. It's all fine and dandy to say, get it in deep and cycle the puck and low to high and shit. But you know what? That, those are, those feel like low percentage chances. And it just never felt like, for the most part, you know, maybe a little bit more so tonight, but it just didn't feel like the high percentage chances from the slot in tight deflections, um, one timer, whatever it might be that they just weren't creating. And, and I feel like small sample size is not a good answer for that. I feel like it goes back a little further and it, it goes back to something that we've heard from fans for a long time that they seem to make a backup goaltender into a Vezina trophy winner. So maybe there is a little something to the players and, and their finishing skills and maybe needing somebody in here who can, 
you know, be a consistent, like 35, 40 goal scorer. I don't know. Maybe it's something crazy. And we can talk about this later, but like, do you go after somebody like Patrick Line? I don't know, but it does feel like there needs to be a little bit of an upgrade in terms of just a pure goal scorer and a pure creative offensive center. Honor, loyalty, integrity. That's the legacy of our father who taught us to always be there for our community. And the reason why at the Castleberry Law Group, we will always treat you like family and do everything for you. Call us at 702-222-9999, 222-9999. Your case is our case. Your victory, our commitment. At the Castro Verde Law Group, our motivation is you. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season. I know I personally was watching football basically all Sunday with a bunch of my friends uh, over FaceTime now because, of course, that's how we're doing it, socially distanced. And I know I needed a caffeine pickup right as those afternoon games were hitting, and I reached for a Pepsi. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi made for football watching. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hires you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. Yeah, it'll be interesting to, of course, see if they're able to make any sort of of move there it's obviously going to be extremely difficult because they're going to be dealing with as everyone else in the nhl is with a flat salary cap and uh, this will be a topic for a future podcast but the knights have some wiggle room right now they're not going to have a lot once they kind of start doing their off-season business um i think it is interesting to point out that Certainly, in the regular season, the Stars, who just beat the Golden Knights and are going to the Stanley Cup Final, uh, had less firepower than the Knights. Certainly, they had less firepower coming into this series on paper, and I would say probably less, you know, pure finishing ability. They certainly have guys like Joe Pavelski, who has just made a career off of kind of the quote-unquote greasy playoff goals. I believe he is third in playoff goals among American-born players in NHL history. Um, but, you know, 
not necessarily the guy that you look at with the beautiful snapshot that's a top-end finisher. Same with Jamie Benn, but Jamie Benn turned it on in the postseason, just executed. Uh, you can also look at the other conference final and say the Islanders aren't a team that's screaming with offensive skill. Now, maybe you would say that uh, Matt Barzell is that kind of center that you're talking about, Dave, that can unlock a defense just because he's so freaking fast. And certainly, uh, I think Brock Nelson's been fantastic for them this postseason as well. Um, and I even will point out the the 2019 Blues who won the Stanley Cup as an example of a team that, you know, talent-wise and construction-wise is somewhat similar to the Knights in terms of they're built to play a heavier style. I would argue those Blues were built a little bit more for the postseason. They have some finishers in terms of they have Vladimir Tarasenko, who's, you know, probably compared to Max Pacioretty, or maybe he's a half-step above Max Pacioretty, depending on how you view him. They had David Perron, who was literally a Golden Knight and is probably, like I said, comparable to Jonathan Marshall. He was very good for the team last year. And then they have a really good two-way center like William Carlson in Ryan O'Reilly. And you could certainly argue that O'Reilly is maybe a half-step above William Carlson. But I think you could say that it's not like the Knights are that far off, potentially, talent-wise, from that Blues team last year. Now, maybe they're a half-step down in a lot of areas, and maybe that's just kind of the margins that lead to losses sometimes when everything just gets so tight in the playoffs. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I, I think it all, it just shows how hard it is to win it, you know, and, and why they always talk about it and why, you know, teams have a hard time getting past a certain point, you know, in the, in the playoff structure or, you know, like Washington or they get there and they can't finish or, you know, it, it takes a lot of things going right. You have to be healthy at the right time. You have to be getting goaltending at the right time. You have to be, you have to have guys that are producing. I mean, all those, like you mentioned the blues and, and I, I mean, I think, you know, maybe there's like a tick difference, like you mentioned in terms of what the blues are rolling out on defense last year in terms of like Bo Meester, Petrangelo, um, Pareko is kind of shut down big physical guys. And then, you know, they were getting scoring and, and Ryan O'Reilly was a con Smythe. I don't remember if he was the winner. He was the winner. Bennington was, uh, I apologize, but you know, uh, the, the Knights just didn't get a con Smythe performance from anybody in this series that that's, you know, like I mentioned earlier, their stars just didn't step up when they needed to, they needed, they needed somebody to be able to grab hold of that series and, and score a big goal. And then, you know, get games across the finish line. I mean, they somewhat followed the script that they needed to follow in each of the last two games in terms of getting the first goal. And, you know, especially tonight in, in game five, I mean, they're up to nothing in the third period, basically scored early in the, you know, 15 seconds in, you've got a two nothing lead that you've got to, you know, ride out and your in your goaltenders playing well, you feel like the the defense is playing well and whatever the stars are throwing at you offensively, you know, isn't a threat. And, you know, the puck ends up on Jamie Ben's stick and he finished and he finished at key times throughout the series, you know, and then, you know, Kiviranta, I mean, steps up at a big moment, you know, Gurionov obviously is a guy who was a 20 goal scorer, let him in goals during the, the season. I mean, good shot, but you know, like Leonard said, you'd, you'd probably like to make a save there. 
you know, it was just at key moments, their key guys stepped up and the Knights just didn't do that. And, you know, maybe that's the stuff that Pete DeBoer is talking about learning in the playoffs and you've gone through it and, and maybe those guys now know what it takes. We'll see. Yeah, we will definitely see. I mean, that is interesting. We heard from Nate Schmidt uh, much earlier this postseason about how last year, the first round against the San Jose Sharks where the Knights were up 3-1 and ultimately lost the series in ways that we don't need to get into right now. But he mentioned that that helped teach the team how hard it was to win in the postseason. And that certainly seemed like a lesson the team had learned through the first two rounds and even in the round robin where they came out kind of with their hair on fire. And maybe this series will teach the team a lesson about what it actually takes to score in the postseason. Uh, I want to hit a quick couple other storylines before we look ahead a little bit to wrap this podcast up. Uh, first thing I want to talk about, uh, Mark Stone, he blocked a Joe Pavelski shot last game and was clearly hobbled for the rest of the contest. I mean, you watched him on the five on three that the Knights got in game four, and he just clearly wasn't right. Wasn't a hundred percent. He still gave it a go tonight. I don't think anyone was necessarily shocked that uh, Mark Stone basically refused to bow down when his team's season was on the line. But ultimately, tonight, Dave, was that the Mark Stone that we're used to seeing? No. Uh, maybe it was just me. They showed him in warm-up, and, you know, I never like to to read too much into warm-up, but he looked like he was hobbling, and they showed him a couple times grimacing and laboring up the ice, and, you know, I, it, it just didn't feel like he gutted it out. Credit to him, and I'm sure it would have taken, you know, who knows what, like, if I'm sure if he could get a skate over that foot, he was going to play whatever it took. And I think he grew into the game a little bit. It seemed like maybe it loosened up and it, it wasn't as stiff as it, as it seemed like early in the, in the game. I know there was one chance where he had, where he had a burst and kind of, you know, came in, got a back backhand off uh, that Hudobin stopped, but it just didn't feel like Mark Stone was, was at a hundred percent for, you know, all the third period last, uh, the previous game in game four. And then, and then tonight either. And, and, you know, it's too bad. That's a shame because, you know, you want to kind of go down with, with your best, I guess, if you're going to, if you're going to lose, you, you, you want to go down throwing your best pitch. And I guess maybe in that way, you know, the night's not being probably at, at full strength, I guess it, it kind of cost them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, credit to stone for trying to gut that out. He actually led the team in shots on goal tonight with five, he played basically his you know, regular allotment of ice time. He was on the power play and the penalty kill. He played almost 19 minutes, but I mean, I don't think that was him at his best just because of what he tried to do last game to help the team out. Um, the second thing I want to quick touch on is, you know, the third period, you've already kind of talked about it, Dave. The Knights went up 2-0. Uh, Riley Smith scored 15 seconds into the period. Uh, like I talked about earlier, uh, then Dallas finally kind of started pushing. It was very interesting to me that for the most part, it seemed like the Knights, who obviously were the more desperate team and were playing like the more desperate team, were doing a very good job of kind of doing what the Stars do. Once they got up to nothing, they were locking the game down for the most part. They weren't allowing a lot of traffic. They weren't allowing a lot of shots. And then finally, 
I don't know if there's something Rick Bonus said on the bench or something, but the Stars remembered that, oh, hey, if we win this game, we get to go to the Stanley Cup final. That's pretty neat. And then they started pushing. And it just seemed like once the Stars started that push and they kind of took control over the tempo of the game, they never gave it back up. And they tied it and they kept pushing after they tied it. And it just felt like once the Knights lost the grip on the game, they never so much as even slightly closed their fist back around it again. Um, and obviously, the two of us, because we are neutral, impartial observers of this team and we report on them as objectively as possible, we are not allowed to bet on the games. But uh, our colleague Jim Barnes, who does a great job covering sports betting for us, tweeted out that the overtime line was Knights minus 140 and that was kind of crazy to me because certainly from my eyes, just watching that end of that third period, it seemed to me like the Knights were definitely not the favorite heading into overtime. And I'm curious whether you had the same feeling once the puck dropped in the extra session. Yeah. I, I mean, it did feel like the wind was kind of out of their sails a little bit in the overtime. I, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I don't want to crush them too much in terms of, the third period, but you have to, you have to get that across the finish line, right? Like you're up to nothing. You're trying to come back from a three, one, you've done everything right. You've done everything right. And all you got to do is what? 10 minutes. I mean, you're, you're halfway there through the third period and, and it costs you. And, and that's, you know, I mean, I guess maybe in that way, you know, we've, we've talked about all these things in, in kind of the knife edge that this series was, was sort of balanced on. And, and, and it's like, it's moments like that. It's things like that. You, you do what you need to do for 50 plus minutes and, you know, they get a good goal from Jamie Ben, and then you just, you can't close. And, and in some way, not to be too harsh, but like, yeah, you don't deserve to win a series when you, when you're in a situation like that, it's tough because you, you give up nine goals in a series and you lose. I mean, it's weird. It's like the, the Kings, you know, that first year, it's like they gave up seven goals or whatever to the Knights, you know, and they get swept. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's crazy, but Pete DeBoer kind of touched on it. That's what this time of year is in terms of the season. Like you get two, one games, one, nothing games. You have to win them. Every stars win was a one goal win. And, and, you know, that was a difference. So I did, it kind of, I'll say this, when I saw that puck go over the glass and, and you knew that the stars were going to get an over, uh, overtime power play at that point, it was just, it was like, Oh, this is just, you know, like just, they, they can't, they just didn't have enough gas left in the tank. I don't know why, you know, maybe that's a question for tomorrow for, for them and for Pete DeBoer. But it, it did sort of feel like at that point that the stars were in control. I, I have to agree. Yeah, let's quick talk about that penalty uh, then, too. I uh, touched on it earlier. It is what it is. Uh, it's, a, it's the right call. It's also a really rough way for Zach Whitecloud to cap what was a solid rookie season. He led the Knights in a shorthanded time on ice this postseason so he was their number one penalty killer basically he was second on the team in block shots uh, we certainly had fun in the media asking him about the various times he's kind of gotten 
beaten up and bruised in the playoffs, but kept coming back uh, to keep fighting. Uh, we can't play the clips of what uh, Pete DeBoer and Riley Smith said, kind of defending White Cloud and his role with the team because they contain some naughty words. But they were obviously, for justifiable reasons, not placing the blame on him for kind of the bad break that ultimately led to the game-winning power play. And, you know, obviously, nor should they, right, Dave? Yeah, no, I mean, that's, you know, that's not his fault. Like, he's going back. He just, he's playing the puck. It just happens. You know, you can't, that, that you know, you can't point that. There's no way. I mean, he's played, especially with, with like you said, he played too well in the series. He, he solidified his spot. I mean, not to get too much into something, whatever we'll just, t- we'll talk about, but like he supplanted Derek England. I mean, he solidified his future with this team and, and to have, like one play like that, Marum, like no way, no way. I mean, you know, I'm sure the team won't let it happen. And, you know, I doubt the fans and the media will either. No, definitely not. Um, so that obviously puts a wrap on the Golden Knights 2019-20 season. It took a lot longer than any of us would have expected, but there it is. Uh, now, obviously, we'll have a ton of off-season content coming for you guys in the coming days, both on this podcast and at ReviewJournal.com. But I want to quick hit some storylines that we'll, of course, be watching out for. Number one, obviously, is the goaltender situation. So Robin Leonard is a unrestricted free agent. As we've mentioned, I believe, on this podcast before, there are certainly a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there that suggests he's not going to be a free agent for long. And that, in fact... He will be sticking around in Las Vegas. Uh, There is a report in the fourth period on Friday that said that Leonard basically already has an extension in place with the Golden Knights. Leonard denied that report. Now, if you're uh, one of those people that likes to kind of read between the lines uh, with all this stuff and how the Golden Knights like to operate, you know, it would would have been pretty shocking if the team had announced an extension during the postseason so we'll see if in the coming days here that is something that turns from rumor into reality and then if that happens uh, the Knights are obviously going to have to decide whether they can uh, stomach on their books keeping both Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury whether those two goalies would be happy together in that situation and in if not uh, what that ultimately means for Fleury's future with the franchise Uh, the second thing to look out for uh, Mark Stone, it really appears likely that he will be wearing a different letter on his sweater next year. And of course, we're talking about the C because Pete DeBoer has made it pretty clear that he would like to have a captain next season. And based on everything that he has said about it, it seems like Stone is by far the most likely candidate. And I think he just proved that again, uh, both tonight and in game four with how he gutted out the last two games of the season. Um, And then finally, it'll just be interesting to see what else this team ends up doing. As Dave touched on, some of their UFAs are uh, Leonard, though that one you can maybe put an asterisk by, uh, Derek England, John Merrill, and Tomas Nosek. I think in a flat cap world, it's going to be tough for the Knights to bring any of those guys back. The restricted free agents are Chandler Stevenson and Nick Cousins. Uh, it would make sense, especially since they 
traded and gave out draft picks for both of those guys during the year to see both those guys come back on contracts that are to be determined. Um, and then, you know, you touched on what you might like to see this team do, Dave, or what you think this team is lacking. Uh, in a flat cap world, do you think that they're going to be able to make any big moves like that to, you know, bring in a guy that's going to maybe put them over the top? Or is this going to be a situation kind of like last offseason where they're going to have to be more patient and kind of wait to uh, till the trade deadline uh, to make some moves? Because that's what we saw this year where they actually traded a lot of guys away last offseason, accumulated draft capital, and then spent that draft capital getting a Robin Leonard, an Alec Martinez, a you know Nick Cousins at the deadline. Do you think we're going to see a similar script play out this offseason? I mean, it's tough to say. I think the goalie situation has to get sorted out first and what they want to do with that. And then be able to say, okay, this is what our salary cap deal is, especially based on, you know, their playoff performance. Obviously Chandler Stevenson scored a great goal tonight, but neither of them really set the world on fire. Nick Cousins was what we presume to be a healthy scratch for a handful of games. So I don't think those guys are really going to cost a whole lot in terms of of that, I just feel like maybe philosophically, it's a bigger question of, you know, after three years, after getting close one year, and then, you know, having it, you know, last year, obviously feeling like they could have made a run this year, getting, you know, the conference final. Do they feel like they need a shakeup? Do they feel like there needs to be something big happen, a, a hockey trade, a big one for one? Um, do we see one of those top six guys that have been, you know, part of this team for three years, maybe move out as part of a package for somebody or as part of a one for one, um, just to mix things up, just to try to like, you know, get a different dynamic. I mean, if there's one thing that Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee have shown, especially this year, the lesson is that they are not afraid to make a change. And if they feel like their window is closing, they're going to do what they feel like they need to do to keep that thing open and, and try to win a Stanley cup. It's an interesting thought process. Do you feel like you're close enough? And if you re-sign Lanner and you basically bring this team back, is that good enough? Can you make another run? I mean, I think they're a playoff team. I, I think they could, you know, potentially do damage in the, in the playoffs, but you never know. And, and it does feel like there's just, you know, room to maybe get a little better, but you, you're going to have to roll the dice if you're Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee and, and, you know, maybe make a risky trade and, and go after some guys and, and maybe give away some futures or things to, to really go for it. I mean, I, I'm not sure exactly who's out there in terms of a trade. I don't know what it would take. I mean, I, I, I mentioned line a earlier because he's the biggest name that's kind of been, at least mentioned, you know, TSN trade board and other, other folks, other reports of, of somebody who might be available. And I, he, he would be a guy that would be an instant upgrade. He's like a 40 goal score potentially. So, you know, it, it would take a lot to do that. And I don't know if the Knights feel like they're close enough where you don't want to shake it up like that, but I got to say, it feels like this off season more than any other off season going into it. Not that there've been that many granted, but that there's a potential for a major shakeup this year, more so than, than the previous. No, it'll be fascinating to see 
what they end up doing. If anything, I mean, you mentioned uh, a name like Patrick Liney that's certainly intriguing, and that's something that we can talk about as we move forward here in the offseason. We'll be providing you guys plenty of offseason content, uh, both on this podcast and at ReviewJournal.com. So stay tuned for all of that. Uh, thank you to everyone who's listened this season, who's listened this postseason as we started bringing you guys these post-game podcasts for the Western Conference Final. It is very, very much appreciated. So uh, thank you guys from the bottom of our hearts for helping uh, support us as we kind of get to do what we love and not work for a living, which is awesome. Uh, as a reminder to everyone, the Golden Edge podcast is sponsored by the DeCastro Verde Law Group. We are also presented by Pepsi, Indeed, and Favor Shot. Drink a favor.com. Please check out all our written work at reviewjournal.com. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts, please do to this one. Thanks again so, so much to everyone for coming along with us for this ride this season. Uh, I'm Ben Goats. He's Dave Shane. We are the Golden Edge Podcast. And yes, we will talk to you guys again real soon. Honor, loyalty, integrity. That's the legacy of our father who taught us to always be there for our community. And the reason why at DeCastroBerdy Law Group, we will always treat you like family and do everything for you. Call us at 702-222-9999, 222-9999. Your case is our case. Your victory, our commitment. At the Casper Verde Law Group, our motivation is you. They say a healthy gut means a healthy you. Favor apple cider vinegar shots bottle this feeling into the convenience of a two-ounce shot. Better digestion, stronger immune system, and the lowering of blood sugar levels are just some of the benefits to shooting a daily favor shot. Their proprietary blends are raw and organic and mixed with other functional ingredients to create a better tasting experience. First time shooters can go to drinkafavor.com. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.